0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. For those of you that weren't here, we're starting uh, this series the next few months, trying to kind of see what's what's the essence of God's story. Is, is it possible that God's telling a story uh, through the Bible? It's not just a bunch of disjointed, uh, multiple books of the Bible that Are diverse in their messages, but maybe there's common threads. Maybe there's something God wants to communicate. And uh, I thought we'd start with just a little review, just kind of before we dive into the second week, we look at some things about creation. And uh, we said, I'm going to highlight four things from last week. One is God is creator. That's his nature. Uh, God is a creative being. Uh, That was number one. Number two is we can participate. God made us in his likeness, but he—if uh, we create space, God will fill it again. That's part of His nature. We're going to kind of focus on that idea today, creating space. But uh, that's that's a promise, I think, because again, God responds to creating space. He wants to fill it. That's just His His nature. Three, we are created in His image, and that's kind of profound. We're not just another one creature of His creation. There's something very Unique And I think more profound, more amazing than we can get our head around, what that really means. Uh, But we are created in his image. Uh, And then finally, fourth, we are very good. Again, uh, uh, we need to hear that. I was just reminded that last song we sang before I came up here, Uh, the goodness of God. Uh, All my life he's been faithful. All my life he has been good to me. And we need to be reminded of that, because there are so many things about the world we live in and the culture we live in that tells us a different story, tells us a different narrative, uh, that we're not good, we're not good enough, that we're not what we should be. And we spend a lot of our lives trying to prove that we are. Um, So all of that is a great segue into what we want to talk about today, but I did want to say that there were a number of people that came up last week and said, hey, can I get a copy of that? Cultural bias thing, and then for some of you may have opened your notes already and discovered that it's in there, but in your notes, you'll find uh, that little chart. Uh, I would encourage you if you think it's helpful, maybe just take that, stick it in your Bible, and be reminded as you read uh, that maybe there's ways to read this that I might understand better if I understand the culture in which it was written to. So, there's that. Well. <clears throat> Last week we spent our time on thirty-one verses, the whole first chapter of Genesis, and uh, a lot of verses, a lot of good stuff in there. Today we're uh, we're going to do two verses in uh, Genesis and three verses. Going to take it up a notch in Exodus, both focused on the very same thing, and it's really interesting just to look at how the. The Bible is formatted, if you will. Moses didn't write it in chapters, didn't have all the grammatical things that we've added to it uh, since its original form. But it is interesting. The choice was made to take day seven, which is what we're going to focus on today, and not put it as a part of Genesis 1. It stands on its own in Genesis 2, uh, as if to say, this is a special day. This is a day set apart. Why, why was it done that way? And I, I, we're going to look at... Maybe discover why that is. What's what is so special and set apart about this day uh, seven. So we're gonna find out. Let's look at Genesis two, two to three. Says this: By the seventh day God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So there it is, short verses, uh, declaring day seven as a day of rest. Uh, God is finished. Uh, And then just an interesting way it it phrases this. It says, he blessed the day and made it holy. Why? Why did he bless that day and make it holy? Well, verse three, (laughs) then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. If you think about that, it's really just saying, why did he make that day special? Because he did nothing. The day he did nothing, he blessed and made holy and set apart. Uh, you know, we look at special days in our history, and our family. and Those are days that something was done. Something we want to remember what happened. We won on that day. We did this on that. All, all of our special days are days where we do something. But God is telling us a different story. No, the day I did nothing, that's the day I want to set apart and make holy because it's a message to us. Um, it's a message that God wants to tell us about him and about us and about us relating to him. So why did God rest on the seventh day? Was he tired? You know, I'd be exhausted, got to be honest. Took, made everything from nothing. I made time, space, matter, all the galaxies. Because I mean, he did it all. He said he was finished, he'd done. you know it wasn't like a eight part deal. He did it all in one chunk, and then he's done uh so why I, but I don't think it's valid to say God got tired that's why we take a day of rest because we're exhausted, but God, I don't think God's exhausted. He wants to tell a different story. I think it 's because God was done. He was finished, he could rest. God knows when to say enough that he could be satisfied with what he'd done, and he did that. He said, it is good, it is finished, I am done. I don't need to do any more. I can rest and trust that what I've done is enough. Uh, that's the message that he wants to send us. I think a great analogy would be like a, a fine work of art. Uh, you'll hear, you know, I look at things done, in this period of time where like Da Vinci and Michelangelo and these guys, and you just think, wow, amazing gifts they had. You look at something like Michelangelo's David. Anybody ever seen? We got to do that a few years ago. I actually looked at the statue of David. Kind of awe-inspiring to think, what a gift somebody had to create that. But like any great artist, he knows when to say it's done. It's finished. I've done. done like he Here it is. I may come back in a couple of weeks and touch it up a little bit, do a little more. No. He looks at it and he goes, no, it's, it's done. I'm satisfied. It's finished. Nothing more I could do. In fact, if I keep creating, it might damage what I've done. It might be a couple of chisel shots extra. And, oh, God, ruined it. Got to know when to say enough. Um, and I think in some ways that's God's message to us, is know when to say enough. Uh, so we bless the day. Uh, <clears throat> well, as I said, it's important to know the context, and this story is no different, uh, Most scholars believe, and I I think it's probably true, I think that we can trust that somehow God communicated the first five books of the Bible through Moses. He was the storyteller. Moses had a very special relationship with God, we'll get into when we get to Moses, Uh, but he had a face-to-face relationship with God, very unique, and I'm sure God shared so much with him. This is in the very, in essence, essence, the very beginning of God's narrative in a lot of ways. Uh, This story, all of Moses' lifetime, the few generations on either side of his life, revolves around God bringing the, Egypt, or the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, they've been slaves for 400 years. That's the people that are hearing this for the first time, that are hearing the Genesis account and also where God begins to tell the narrative of the next five books, which are all around that generation. Um, but they, they were slaves. They made bricks. That was their identity. Well, what do you do? I make bricks. Seven days a week, every day. Never take a break. My identity, my value in this culture is how many bricks can I make? That's all they've known. I mean, think about Put yourself in that place for generations, 400 years like we've been a nation for 252, well, what is it now? Somewhere around there. Um, just imagine almost double that. Well, all you've known as a group of people is we're slaves and we make bricks and our value is tied to what we can produce. If it gets to the point where I'm too sick, injured, can't produce bricks, they get rid of you because you have no value. You only have value if you can produce b- bricks. That is what God is working with. A group of people, maybe two million, I don't know what number you can put on it, huge number of people that come out of that environment, that generation upon generation, this is how they looked at life. Now they're in the desert, and God is, okay, I've got to re-educate this group of people. I've got to get them to understand who I am and how they can relate to me. Well, so that's where we come to, the verses in Exodus, because three months after God brings them out of slavery, delivers them from Pharaoh, they're on their own, they're free with, well, what do we do now? And they're in the desert, and they're at Mount Sinai. And this is where God communicates the Ten Commandments through Moses. And the fourth commandment is what we want to focus on because it's a retelling of Genesis 2, 2 to 3. So let's look at that. Exodus twenty eight to 11. Starts out this way. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals. That's a good one. Dogs, stop working. Okay, I know. They had oxen and stuff. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, Nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There it is again, almost the retelling. But now it's in the form of a command, form of how do you, how do you best relate to me? This is like his first lesson. first lesson he's trying to get into these people are <laughs> the value of rest and the, your value does not come in what you produce your value comes because I made you that way. Um, that's the message he's trying to, trying to share. Um, <laughs> and if you think about it, it, it really was an easier thing for God to bring Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Israel. You know, you think, why did he spend 40 years in the desert with these people? Well, they've got to get to know God that they never knew they spent their entire life and generations under the gods of Egypt. And their whole worldview and their whole life was nowhere near what God wants to tell them about. So 40 years, it's going to take a long time to kind of redefine who you are to me and who I am to you. Uh, that's, that's the message of why, you know, it was only a couple of weeks march to the promised land. It's like, oh, uh, it's booked for now. We're going to have to wait out here in the desert for 40 years. No, that was a huge time for God to... Some have called it a honeymoon. It's like, i got to get to know my, my bride and my bride to know me. I've uh, got to get to know what this relationship looks like. Um, so that's, that's where we are. Um, <laughs> if you go back to Genesis 1 uh, from last week, there was a refrain in there that I purposely didn't comment on because I, I wanted to comment on it here. Some of you may have picked up on it. It was the phrase, then there was evening and there was morning, day one. There was evening and there was morning, day two. Evening and morning, day three. does that for every day. Evening and morning, we kind of think, well, that's backwards. Everybody knows the day begins at sunrise, ends at sundown. You know, that's clear. God's got it backwards. But I think God's trying to give a message. No, in my world... If you want to know who who I am and what I'm like, your day should start with rest. Your day begins at sundown. First thing you do, your day, go to bed. I I got it. Because God's trying to tell us a story. You can trust the story. You can trust that God's going to take care of things. And that my value doesn't come in what I do. My value isn't defined by how much I produce. So God starts even with defining what a day is. Day starts with rest and how different that is for us. Uh, So I love that. There was evening, there was morning. It's it's true today in the Jewish culture. Uh, They still start their Sabbath day on Friday at sundown. In Jesus' day, when Jesus was crucified on a Friday, Sabbath began at sundown. That's why the religious leaders were so adamant about making sure that these people on the cross were dead and taken off and buried before sundown because that was the Sabbath day. It was supposed to be holy. Um, so they understood Sabbath, but they didn't really understand, I don't think. We'll get to that in a minute, uh, what, what that's really about. Uh, so, there we are. We have what we need. God's in control. We can trust him. And our value is in who he's made us to be. Uh, so, what about us today? Some of you have already said, "Hmm, doesn't sound that different uh, from our culture, because our culture does the same thing, doesn't it? Uh, what, where's our value in our culture today? Our values in what we do, our values in how much we can produce. Uh, that's our value. You know, hey, did you get to college, did you get a degree. What kind of job do you get? We're always looking for something more, something better. I need to make more money. I need to produce more. Uh, that defines me." We even have terms in our, in our culture like net worth. <laughs> Getting ready for retirement, that's the big topic. What's your net worth? Like, where's your value? What's your value like? Are you worth more today than you were 20 years ago? Because the goal by the time you retire is to have a high enough net worth that you can take care of yourself, that you are <laughs> able to retire. A lot of people put off retirement. I don't have a big enough net worth. Um... So that, we are in the same culture. It looks different, but it gives us the same message. Uh, I just <laughs> Jesus had that message for the religious leaders. Um, remember this conversation. Because they had twisted the Sabbath. The Sabbath was something that you had to adhere to, that you had to do the right thing on the Sabbath and not do the wrong thing. It was all a measure of... And Jesus, uh, <laughs> I mentioned this before... I, I love the fact that Jesus went out of his way to produce, or to produce, to heal, do most of his healings on the Sabbath. Just to say, you don't get, the idea. this is not work. The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We're not slaves to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant to be a gift to us. It's meant to be an opportunity for us to rest. It's meant to be an opportunity to trust that God has got me and my worth isn't what I do. That's the repetitive message that God's trying to give uh, today. Uh, Take a minute and just tell you a little personal application here. This is not a good story, but it's it's a true story. Um, I, I have still, to this day, in fact, I'm declaring today, I expect to hear a lot of people come up to me next week and say, how you doing on your Sabbath? Because here I'm a person of ministry. Well, certainly I take a Sabbath. And I that was not part of the culture that I went on Young Life staff when I was 35 years old, had four kids, and uh, well, I was in full-time ministry. <laughs> we, I literally, I can't tell you, I ever had a day off. Uh, why? Because, you know, our week was a little different. Sunday, Sunday was like the best day to do training, because that's the only day that all of our volunteer leaders could do training, Saturday or Sunday, usually landed on a Sunday. Saturday, oh, that's another opportunity to do things with kids that we couldn't do during the week. Have Ultimate Frisbee every Saturday or some other thing we want to do with kids or meet kids one-on-one on a Saturday because that's what you did. You know, I, I think my worth in ministry, maybe it still is. Maybe I just really have to ask the honest question. What's my value to God in ministry? Is it how much I produce? Is it how many high school kids say yes to Jesus? Is it how many... People go into ministry as a result of my ministry. I mean, how do you measure success or value when you're in ministry? And I'm just, from that standpoint, I'm just here to say I think in ministry you almost have a higher standard than the secular world has because now it's tied to God. You can't say no to God. You know, if I'm not doing stuff for God, then where's my value? Um, so that I have never been good at taking a day off because it became just a lifestyle. Uh, I would say it wasn't unhealthy. It was a great life. But it's almost like saying to God, hey, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you can take care of me. And I don't trust that my value is in who you've made me to be, not what I do. So I think every day, every week that went by in ministry to God, I was telling him that message. Because the way we live our life tells people what we believe about God. And I regret that. Um, I regret that I don't give people the message that, how come you don't do anything today? Huh? I trust God. He has a different view of me than I do. <laughs> uh, so, and then I, uh, Judy and I were talking about this week, and she gave me permission to share this. But she uh, had a similar experience, trapped, if you will, in our culture in a different way. Similar, uh, but different. She was, uh, she's always been so good at doing so much so well. Very relational, very, uh, uh, she's an amazing gal. Uh, but, again, when we were, went on Young Life staff, she was my, always has been, our best volunteer leader. Uh, we had four kids we raised during that time between the time we were 20 and 40 years old, and uh, she, I think she took a total of like two months off of doing Young Life during that time. Because how do you say no to God? I'm going to I'm going to do this. She homeschooled our kids. She led worship at church. It was hard for her to say no to people that asked her to do stuff at church. Well, I guess I have to. God's asking. I guess I got to do it. And she began to assume that life, her life, her value, was in what she did for God. That if she didn't do stuff for God, then maybe she didn't have as much value as worth uh, to God. Uh, I don't think she did that consciously, but I think that just becomes part of her identity. Uh, and then things changed radically when we went to San Jose. Because here we moved to Silicon Valley, 1998, <laughs> peak of the tech boom in a lot of ways down there. And now we are in a different world, and we are trying to survive on uh, modest ministry salary, Area Director of Young Life paying 2800 bucks to rent a three-bedroom house in the middle of San Jose, California. Okay, now you're going to have to go to work because she'd had the privilege of not being, not having to go to work, not having to uh, work outside the home, which she worked very hard, did well. But now she's has to get a job so we can make ends meet. And that meant I can't do what I was doing in young life as much. I can't. Meet with girls like I used to. I can't. And she started to just feel less and less value. It's like now I'm bringing home a paycheck. Who cares? This 'cause because our dream in going to San Jose. But now we can be partners. Our kids were grown to the point we can do this ministry thing more together. And now she's working in an insurance office as a receptionist to a guy who was on our Young Life committee. So, she, what good is this job to the Kingdom of God? You know, I'm not. And she began to get depressed. And to the point where she had to go get some therapy, She they prescribed some antidepressants at one time, not knowing that she had been self-managing a bipolar condition for all her life. And uh, kicked her into a manic episode. She spent two weeks in the hospital, had a psychotic break, and, and really a break from who am I. You know, I remember pulling away from the hospital after she got checked in and going out oh, I never going to see my wife again and then began the after 2 weeks she began therapy and her therapist said next year you can't do any ministry what do you mean I can't do any ministry that's that's where I get my value never said that but that's kind of how her spirit took that like I can't do any ministry the next year and it was the healthiest growing time in her life to realize that she didn't have to do any ministry to experience closeness and intimacy and value with her relationship with God. Um, redefined who she was. You can ask her to do stuff now and she'll have the joy of saying, nope, can't do that. <laughs> Sorry, she's not going to feel obligated to do stuff because she gets asked to, by, especially by the church. Um, so she's a much healthier person than she was, but God had to Break her, if you will, from what she'd grown up with, this identity of value and rest. Um, so that's what we're here to kind of look at in a practical sense, because God commanded it. God said, hey, here's a Sabbath. It's a gift to you, but you need to do this if you're going to experience me the way you should, if you're going to know who you are the way you should. Sabbath should be a part of it, and we're terrible at it. Um, I think we can all kind of agree with that. You know, so when I was growing up, five, six, seven-year-old kid, I, I remember we lived in a culture that there was a Sabbath. Sunday, what was open on a Sabbath in the 60s? Nothing. There was no grocery stores open, no gas stations. You could drive through town, and the only people there were people going for a Sunday drive. But they had nothing else to do. And I think about that now and think, wow, that was a little time capsule. That people, if they had Sunday dinner on Sunday planned, they had to go get their food on Saturday because nothing was going to be open on Sunday. We'd even dress up and have Sunday dinner. It's like, because nothing else is going on. You can't go anywhere else. You can't go to a movie. You can't, everything's closed. Uh, not the case today. And I, I just think, I wonder how much we are influenced by that radical shift in what used to be a part of our culture. Um, so, uh, hmm. What if one day we do nothing every week? Is that okay? I'm going to do nothing. Because that's the day that God set aside and made holy. The day you do nothing. That's how you can mark that day. How'd you do? I did nothing. Oh, good job. Great. (laughs) Great day. Yes, indeed. Um, It's just so different for us to look at. Uh, Some of you may be already panicking because you're thinking, well, my day off is a day I catch up on all the stuff that I couldn't do during the week otherwise, and because it's just part of our nature. We've got to be doing something every day. Uh, (laughs) Well, again, I'll just reiterate this. I'll repeat it, because I think we need to repeat it. Two major reasons why this is important. Because we need to trust the story God's telling us, that he's got us, that he he can take care of us. Work should be a response to what God does in our life, not a way to earn or qualify for his acceptance or value, that our value comes in being related to him, being made by him, not in what we produce. Uh, so, can we believe that God can both take care of us and value us apart from what we do? Uh, I want to shift and kind of talk about some practical ways we can, we can do this. Um, <laughs> he made the Sabbath for us. Uh, it's a gift to us. Sometimes we just think of it as, oh, I guess I better do that to honor God. I better just take this day off. And we don't understand that it's a gift to change the way we look at ourselves and change the way we look at at God and how he sees us. Um, so, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, some practical ideas. Set apart a day. Create space. Uh, simple, Simple thing, isn't it? But boy, that's a hard thing to do. I, I said I'm, I'm still working on it. But I, I now understand the value and I now understand why I need to do it for myself and for my relationship with God. Because I don't want to miss what God wants to do in my life in the, on a day of doing nothing. Because I think we create that space, we create that opportunity. God can speak to us in days that he can't if we're busy doing stuff. If we, I, I used to, uh, you know, just take a day away. It's the only thing I was able to kind of put into my schedule, and I really value it. I love it, because it has taught me a lesson. I, every, once a month, I schedule it, take a day away. I go out of the town, because I don't want to be, you know, because it's hard for me to say no. Hey, can you meet for coffee? Uh, yeah, okay. Take a day away. I go off and do something. <laughs> I remember when I first started doing that about 10 years ago. Uh have a staff meeting or something. Hey, what did you do on your day off? And he felt guilty because you didn't have anything to tell him after a while. I I used to start out going, well, I'm going to read this and I'm going to spend 30 minutes praying and I'm going to do that. (laughs) Missed the whole point. You should do nothing. It should be a day of rest, a day where you just give it to God and let things happen. Uh, There are days where I just, maybe I took a nap for a couple hours, Uh, took a walk, listened to God without even having to talk because that can be an agenda sometimes hey what, what should I be praying for how about just creating space and listen just take a walk God tell me what you want to tell me do something in me that you want to do tell something. tell me something about myself I don't know I'm just going to give you this time and space to do things in my life uh So now I'm trying to shift that to once a week. Because it is, I look back on it and I think, those are some of the most valuable times I've had, and I couldn't tell you why. Couldn't tell you, oh yeah, you taught me this great thing. You know, my day away, I accomplished something. (laughs) No, but I just know it reshapes how I look at myself. It reshapes how I look at God. And I am going to be doing that on a weekly basis. Um, I'm probably going to absorb the Jewish culture because I can get away with well I can do Friday sundown to Saturday sundown and that way if I have to do anything for church I can do it Sunday night before. <laughs> you know, I can cheat a little bit but, uh, but the intention is the point do I, do I really am I really intending to set aside time so I don't think I have to grab control so I don't think that I dictate what every day of my life should look like Uh. So there you go, there's some things. Uh, I guess the point would be, doesn't have to be the same day every week. That's the other thing I learned. So I started trying to take a Sabbath. And again, Young Life's going, oh, i got a weekend camp this. Okay, that didn't work. That, maybe I'll start a Sabbath next month. And then I realized, you know, you can look at your schedule and go, that weekend's not going to work, so I'll do my, my Sabbath day on Thursday, or Friday, or whatever. Or next month, you look ahead. You go, no, not going to work then, but I can do it then. The point is be intentional, create space, trust that God's going to work if we honor him with that day, because he gave it to us for a gift. Uh, I need that, I need that rhythm in my life. Um, I need that rhythm. I remember, uh, I mentioned Marty a number of times, my Christian Jewish observant friend who, uh, you know, he's faithful doing his sabbath every friday sundown to saturday sundown and we used to have their family over every couple months when they were in town and uh i remember after hearing about this and the whole sabbath thing and sharing what i my own struggle i asked their kids at that time they're only like six eight years old or so so what do you guys do on your sabbath <laughs> without even missing a beat they have this mantra they <laughs> they love it as a family it's like we, uh, we rest, we play, no work. God loves us. That's what <laughs> I love that. That's our Sabbath day. That's our agenda. We rest. We play. no work. God loves us. So whatever do, their day looks like, it's through that filter. Let's go have some fun. Let's do some fun stuff. And Marty, if you know Marty, he's kind of a OD guy sometimes worst part of sabbath for him is make not making his bed (laughs) he gets up and like okay (laughs) because even that little act it's like i can let that go i don't have to do that today i don't have to perform i don't have to accomplish um so i invite us all of us to consider that because it's a gift to us uh let's pray father thank you for oh gosh thank you for who you are and uh the story we read in Genesis and Exodus isn't really that far from us today. That we need to redefine who we are. We need to re uh, establish who we are to you. We need to understand our relationship to you isn't based on what we can do, it's based on you creating us good. And our value is not in what we do. We can trust you uh, that you are telling a great story in our life and that. We can rely on you. Uh, you're not holding out on us. You're not keeping things from us. Uh, you know when to say enough. Teach us the same thing. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.